today we're starting a brand new series called Anxious for Nothing. And um, we're going to talk about anxiety. Yay! <laughs> we're going to talk about anxiety. Yay! Won't that, won't that be good? We're going to talk about anxiety for the next month, uh, next four weeks starting today. And I'd love for you, uh, if anything that we share you know, resonates with you or helps you, uh, if, if you're online, you can do this in person. You can share one of our services with somebody that you go, man, when I heard this, I thought of, you know, whoever, and I just sent it to them because I thought it would be a blessing to them. Well, this has been called uh, the, the Age of Anxiety, which is the reason that we're doing this series. Um, the U.S. has the highest number of anxiety disorders in the world. 91% of Gen Z say they deal with a significant amount of anxiety. So the question, I don't know if you've ever asked this, I mean, if you look at any of the data, there seems to be this empirical reality that anxiety is definitely higher now. Have you ever asked yourself why? Like why, why is anxiety worse? Why is it rising? Where does it come from? And I don't think there are necessarily easy answers and certainly, um, anxiety can be very individualized, and you might have drivers of anxiety in your life that are different than most other people or, or anybody that you know. But there are also some uh, macro realities that I just want to give you as we start this series to just kind of say to you, if you are experiencing or, or, or sense that we live in more anxious times, your, your gut's probably right, your intuition's probably right, uh, our pastoral staff months ago read a book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in that book, uh, the author outlined what he believed were some kind of macro drivers of anxiety. And I want to give you a few of those today with some of my own thoughts. So here they are, a rapid and large-scale change. So never has the world been changing faster. We are in a time of extraordinary quick change and not just surface change. Deep structural change is occurring at a rate that the world has probably never seen, and that creates an unstable world, and an unstable world creates anxiety, <laughs> creates a lot of anxiety, because what's happening is nobody knows exactly where we're going. The problem is we're headed there at rocket pace. And so it creates a lot of uh, anxiety. Another one is 24-7 connection to the world. Um, so if you're a Gen Z, you're a tech native, and definitely, you know, Gen, Gen Alpha is going to be AI native. And just wait till we get to see that. That's going to be fun. And so being connected to the world 24 hours a day, seven days a week, puts pressure on you since you're never disconnected. On, you know, on your phone, at any moment, you can get a notification and an update that, hey, this is what happened in Ukraine, or this is what happened, this is what China's doing, or this is what happened in downtown Atlanta, or whatever. And being connected to the world continually brings anxiety because it gives you this feeling that you're supposed to somehow process everything that's happening in the entire world at the same time. In other words, you're supposed to know everything, you're supposed to know about everything. That's what technology teaches you. And, and, and then it teaches you that you're somehow supposed to also be able to, you know, muster up outrage at every injustice in the world. Like, did you hear what happens? Also, doesn't that make you mad? Well, if you do that, you'll just be mad all the time. 
Because I don't know if you know this or not, but there's always something going wrong in the world. And, and it also gives you the idea that, um, that you're supposed to somehow produce a really meaningful and well-crafted and deep thought about it, about everything. You know what that sounds like to me? God. Only God can be outraged at all of the injustice in the world at the same time. Only God can process all the things happening in the world at the same time. Only God can have a deep, meaningful thought about all the things happening in the world at the same time. But technology is painting us in this corner where we feel the pressure to function like God. And you and I aren't God. We're just people, and we have limitations. And that creates an enormous amount of anxiety. And so it's no wonder that the younger you are, the higher your tendency of anxiety tends to be because by generation, the younger you are, the more connected you are. And so it drives anxiety. The decline of institutions that absorb anxiety. So institutions are never perfect, but they do function in society as an absorber of anxiety. So I'll give you an example. You, you go to the um, dock in the box because you have something wrong, and they go, man, we have no idea you know, what's wrong with you. And you go, yeah, but I mean, you know, that's one doctor and a walk-in clinic and a dock in the box. They probably don't even know what they're doing. You know, I don't even know what's going on back there. But you go down to a 300-acre you know, campus with multiple hospitals and a staff of 20,000 people, and you go, these people ought to be able to figure out what's going on, right? That's what an institution does. An institution centralizes knowledge and centralizes expertise and all of this. And so our institutions are in rapid decline, many of them, in our culture, and it causes anxiety. Mental overstimulation. Look, for all of humankind, for all of human history, people came home at the end of a long day and said, oh, my aching back, because I've been working and I, my body's tired. And sometimes because of where you lived or the type of work you did, you overworked your body. Well, there's been this giant shift in the last few decades where now we come home and say, oh, my aching brain, right? If you can overwork your body, you can overwork your brain. And we're overstimulated. We're using our mind for vacation. We're using it for work. We're using it for relationship. We're using it for connection. We're using it for research. We're using it for work. We're using it for hobby. We're using it to cook dinner. We're using it all the time, and our brain is overstimulated. And then a culture of conflict, division, and the breakdown of the family, and uncertain future, and mass shootings, and all, all of the tension that we live in creates anxiety, which I think ultimately leads to this, a loss of identity. So the environments where a person's identity is shaped have been broken down. So now, by generation, this doesn't apply to every individual, but as a group, the further you go down, oftentimes the less clear a, a group is about their identity. Who are we, and what are we about, and where are we going, and what are our values, and what are we anchored to? Because the environment that created identity is, uh, is in trouble in our, in our culture personally. So... Maybe um, these issues are working in the background for all of us. And then, of course, maybe there are issues driving anxiety for you personally. But here's what I want you to know. This message today is for you if you're feeling heavy, if you are carrying a lot of financial stress, if you are worried about your kids, you're worried about the future. 
God wants you to know that he wants you to have peace. And he wants you to have his peace. And that's what I came to proclaim to you today. And I want to give you the foundational passage for this whole series. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of background. Paul the Apostle was uh, in jail. He was in prison. And he was under 24-hour guard with a Roman soldier. And really, he couldn't do much of anything but write letters. He didn't know if he was going to die of old age in prison. He didn't know if he'd get out one day. He didn't know if he'd be executed. But from that amount of stress, from that condition, he wrote these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Look, look at this, this next phrase. is very important to today. The Lord is near. I want you to remember that. We'll come back to that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet Paul the Apostle and say, run that by me again, how you did that. Don't be anxious about anything. I don't know if you know, anything's a big category. Don't be anxious about anything. So, several years ago, uh, my wife had been diagnosed with a terminal disease and it, um, what it does is it degenerates your mind and you lose control over your body and it creates all these um, sort of epileptic type motions. And so she had had a complete uh, mental breakdown. And I, I, I was trying to take care of her and both of our kids who were teenagers were uh, type 1 diabetics, which is called the data disease because it takes an, you have to process an enormous amount of data every day to, to do care right. And so I was the caregiver for all three of them. And uh, life was just overwhelming me, man. I was going back to back, day and night. For type 1 diabetics, you have to check their sugar at 2 a.m. every morning because that's the low point of the, of the 24-hour pe period and they tend to drop. If a diabetic drops too far, they go into a coma and they could die. And so, you, so their sugar has to be checked every night at 2 a.m. So I had, to, I had to check their sugar at 2 a.m. every night while I was caring for my wife, caring for them, and I never got sleep. I mean, I averaged four or five hours sleep for years. And it just, it just was um, destroying me. And so one Thanksgiving, we were going to see my family, and I thought, thank God, you know, at least school and sports and some, whatever the routines that can calm down for a minute, at least they'll be gone. We can get out of town and I can get away and, you know, rest. And so we went to my family's house and that first night there, um, we, everybody got calmed down. You know, I got, everybody's blood sugar was good. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I can lay down and sleep and just rest. And I laid there in bed, in this little full-size bed, and, and all night, because of my wife's illness, she was, she was elbowing me and kicking me and, and just punching me, and it just, it overwhelmed me. And I just thought, I, I can't take it anymore. I've done everything I can do to survive and get away from all this, and even now at Thanksgiving, when I just try to get a little sliver of rest, I can't even get away. And I remember lying there in bed that night thinking, I'm never, I'm never gonna get out of this. I'm stuck. Uh, 
And, and I remember beginning to just pray and cry. And uh, I, I, it was one of those moments where I said, I've had enough. Like that was it, that was the trigger for me. I've gone as far as I can go, I can't go anymore, it's unfair, it's too hard, and I quit. And I remember lying there in bed crying, and the only way I could think to get out of this is if I just died. And so I began, as, I, as I cried there for about an hour, I just began to beg God, God, please, when morning comes, please don't let me wake up. I want it to be over. I want it out. Please don't let, just don't let me wake up. Just take me to heaven. Please. And that's one of those moments that some of us come to sometimes when we say, I've just had it. I've just had enough. And maybe you've never come to a moment like that in your whole life. Maybe you have. Maybe you've just come to a moment like that in part of your life. Maybe it's your marriage where you say, I've had it. Or it's a, it's a difficult teenager, or it's a job, or it's your health, or it's some circumstance that you can't control and it just relentlessly beats you to death and you just say, I've had it. I can't, I can't do it anymore and I've had enough. Well, I want to tell you about a man in the Old Testament named Elijah. I just met a guy named Elijah over here. There he is. And um, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was a good man. He followed God with all of his heart. But uh, King Ahab had, was an evil king, and King Ahab uh, was trying to kill Elijah because God was using Elijah so powerfully to deliver God's people, and it was just working against King Ahab's agenda. Um, but King Ahab looked for him for three years, and he couldn't find him because he was trying to find him and kill him. And finally, Jezebel, you might recognize that name, Jezebel, who was King Ahab's wife, who made him look like Mother Teresa, said, hey, if you can't get him, I'll do it. And so she put the word out, and once Elijah found out, Jezebel's looking for you, and she's going to kill you. He went down into this anxiety hole and into this pit, and, um, and what we can read about now are four mistakes that Elijah made that I want to share with you this morning that when you are in a time of anxiety, if you can avoid these mistakes, it will help you. So here we go. First Kings 19, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. And here's what he said. I have had enough. <laughs> I've been there. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. So, so here's what's interesting. He's so afraid of Jezebel coming to kill him that he asked God to kill him. And you go, that makes no sense. You know what I've learned? Anxiety is never logical. It's not logical. It causes you to think things and to feel things that aren't logical. So maybe in some part of your life you said, I'm done, so let me give you four things not to do from Elijah's life, mistakes that we make. Number one, we run ourselves into the ground. Well, this is a big one for me, and it's probably my, how I mess up the most. Uh, the Bible says that Elijah, uh, when this happened, he took off running and he ran from one town to another, and they were 100 miles apart. He ran 100 miles. He ran the distance of nearly four marathons. And had he kept running, he'd have ran into the Red Sea, which might be the only reason he stopped running. I don't know. 
but he stopped running, and you know what? It didn't help at all. Nothing got better, nothing changed. Jezebel was still after him. And this is what happens to us sometimes when we have like an anxiety attack or we live under great stress or pressure. We think more is the answer. I'll double down. I'll work harder. I'll get more determined. I'll get more committed. This time, I'll have a better plan. I'm going to back up and I'm going to hit it even harder this time and I'm going to keep hitting it until I break through. And what happens is, is you break yourself. You don't really break through, you just break you. And we end up physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. And so maybe you're a single parent today and you're always trying to juggle time and money and it feels like there's never gonna be enough. Or maybe you're a parent of a difficult teenager and you're thinking, you know, what am I gonna do? We're never gonna make it through this. Or maybe you have a, um, a special needs uh, family member in your home and it just drains the life out of you to be a caregiver and you think, I, you know, how, how I'm running myself into the ground. What, what am I going to do? Maybe, maybe um, you're just a parent of little ones. How many of you know little ones can suck the life out of you <laughs> with a smile? <laughs> and maybe you're just a parent of some little ones and you go, man, I'm just driving and driving and driving and you've had enough. Here's what I've learned. If you go too hard, too long, you lose your humanity. And what you become is just a machine whose job it is, is to produce more things every day, to get up more day and to cook and to clean and to work and to get dressed and get the kids dressed and get the everything, everybody fed and get the car running and get the bills paid. And you just become a machine and you lose your soul in that process. Well, the second thing that we do is we shut people out. I don't know why he did it, but the Bible says that uh, Elijah um, left his servant behind. And I didn't notice this till recently, but look at 1 Kings 19.3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there, and if you keep reading, and he went on by himself. He left his most trusted friend behind. He left the person that encouraged him and helped him and lifted him up behind. I don't know why. I don't know if he was afraid he would look weak. I don't know if he undervalued the friendship. We don't know why he did it, but he did it. And we know that it landed him in a bad place mentally and spiritually. And so here's the thing that we have to remember is without Christian community, we're incomplete. You, you can't win every battle in life alone. God didn't create you to do that. And he didn't create me to do that. And so we, we need one another in order to overcome all the challenges of life. And that's what we talked about last month in the Living Stone series. And let me give you a couple of updates. Man, we have seen so, I've heard so many encouraging stories about people in our church making connections. I'll just give you a quick one. This past week in one of our life groups, we had a lady that came to one of our life groups and she said, I've been uh, worshiping with you and watching online for two years and this is the first time I've ever come on this campus. And this Wednesday night, she came to a life group and reached out and began to connect. See, that's the thing that you and I have to have. We say it like this at Kingwood all the time. Life is... Better together. I don't think you mean it. Life is? There you go. It is better together. Elijah's next mistake is a mistake that we usually make when we run ourselves in the ground and we shut other people out. 
Then we focus on the negative. That's what happens. We start focusing on the negative. I hate this job. I don't mean my job. Just for clarity. These people are crazy. I'm not talking about you. Everybody understand? Well, but, but we've always had these thoughts, right? I, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm always going to be on the outside looking in. I'm never going to have enough. I'm never going to have enough time. I'm never going to have enough money. We're never going to have enough life. We're always going to struggle. We're never going to be happy. Elijah ran himself in the ground, isolated himself, and the negative th- thoughts start compounding. Look back at um, verse, chapter 19, verse 4. He says, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Here, here's what I have learned. We all have um, inside of our mind these unexamined thoughts. And they are thoughts that oftentimes live inside of our mind on an unconscious basis. But we accept them. We accept them as truth or we accept them as reality. And in fact, they're not true and they're negative and they're, and they're harmful, they're hurtful. But we've accepted them as true so we live as if they are. And we make decisions out of that basis and everything else. So it's very dangerous to have unexamined thoughts in your mind. So let me give you an example from Elijah's life. He said, I'm no better off than my ancestors who are already dead. Is that true? Is that true? No, it's not true because they were already dead and he's not. But that unexamined thought compounded in negativity and caused him to do some really harmful things to himself. Because he was thinking this is true. And that's what you and I do. We think of things that we believe to be true and they, they are, never get examined. And in a minute, I'll give you an example and I'll, I'll show you how to do that. But here's what happens. We run ourselves in the ground. We shut people out. We uh, begin to focus on the negative. And those three things together normally lead us to do the last one, which is the biggest mistake any of us can make. We forget God. Here's what's amazing. God was with Elijah every step of his life, every moment of his life. He had, he had, Elijah had seen more miracles and more supernatural interventions of God that brought um, provision than most of us would ever hope to see in 10 lifetimes. But yet, Elijah gets in this place and says, God who? Like, he just forgot. Now, Here's what's interesting. You would think after all that God had done that when Elijah got to this point and said, you know, God who? You would think God would say, is that how it's going to be? After all I've done for you? I've never missed one step. I've never missed one day. I've never missed one moment. And now when you get into this position, you're just going to say, God who? And, and you would think God would say, I'm out. You would think God would say, I've had enough. But I got great news for you today. God's not like any of us. God said, go and stand out on the mountain and I'll meet you there. And Elijah went out on the mountain and the Bible says 
there was this violent wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And the Bible says there was this massive earthquake that shook the, the earth. And Elijah's there, you know, bouncing around, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was this fire. And the Bible says God wasn't in the fire. And look what verse 12 says. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God was in the whisper. Do you know why God whispers? Because he's close. He doesn't have to yell because he's not far away from you. He whispers because he's close. He's closer than you think. He's closer than we oftentimes perceive or realize because our awareness of him might be down because we ran ourselves in the ground, we shut other people out, our negative thoughts are compounding, and now it's like we, God's nowhere to be found. But he's close. You know what's ironic about Elijah's life? Elijah's greatest fear was that um, Jezebel was gonna kill him, right? So Elijah's greatest fear was death. But here's what's amazing. Do you know how Elijah died? He never did. You're like, well, introduce me to him. <laughs> well, I did. He's right over there. No, no, it's a different, 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 different. Sorry, different one. Not the same Elijah. The Elijah of the Old Testament was a person that never met death because God, the Bible says, came and got him and took him to heaven. Wow. Do you realize that the thing that Elijah wasted so much of his energy and time and stress and anxiety on never happened? Not only did Jezebel not kill him, he didn't die of natural causes and God didn't kill him either. He just took him to heaven. Wonder how many times you and I do that. We, we're all anxious about things that are never gonna happen. Like I wonder how much of our future stress like anxiety and worry about what am I going to do when? You know, what am I going to do if? And, and those things never happen. That's what happened to Elijah. Satan floods us with fears and lies and pushes us to run ourselves in the ground, to shut other people out, to focus on the negative, and to forget God. But I want to take you back to where we started this morning in Philippians 4 and remind you what Paul said from prison. He said, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Would you, would you say that with me one time this morning? The Lord is near. It's different when you say it. The Lord is near. So I, I just want to um, close this morning and give you an example of how these unexamined thoughts can compound and lead us into a place where we kind of forget God. So um, the last several months, just in my own prayer time, I've been, I've been praying through something, and I just want to be, I'll just be transparent with you and, and share this with you today. One of my unexamined thoughts that was in there that I didn't know was in there um, was this idea that my life has been so complicated that no one will ever understand it. And so for 18 years, I've, never I've not had one year of my life without major trauma, grief, loss. 
for 18 years. It's just been overwhelming and so complicated. And, and one of my, the reasons that I think no one will understand it, I'm not sure that I understand my life yet. It's just been years and years and years of chaos. One chaotic thing after another, and usually one doesn't even get resolved before another one starts, and it hasn't even finished yet. And so sometimes people, you know, say things to me, make comments, hey, you know, this or that, and I think, boy, they just don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand my life. They don't understand what I'm going through. Or they'll, or they'll pray in a certain way, or they'll offer me some kind of solution, and I'll go, boy, you don't get it. You just don't get it. You don't, you don't get the complexity of my life. You don't, if you knew, you would know how that doesn't help. And um, as I've prayed through this, I found an unexamined thought. The unexamined thought is no one will ever understand. But as that thought began to become clear to me in prayer, I began to take it to the Lord. And I began to say, is that really true? And I would be reminded in Psalms when he said, I knew you in your mother's womb. And I've counted every hair on your head. And a bird doesn't fall to the ground that I don't know it. And as I begin to examine my subconscious beliefs against what God has revealed to me in his word, I begin to, I begin to shift. And in my prayer time, I've been praying like this. I've been saying, God, never again do I need to say that no one will ever understand because you understand. You know the beginning from the end. You knew me in my mother's womb. You know every hair on my head. You know uh, every part of my life. You know every strain. You know every difficulty. You know every problem. You know the things I don't know how to explain. And you know the things that I don't understand. And so I, as I've been praying the last several months, I've been saying, Lord, it doesn't mean I'll never say it again, but I don't ever have to say it again. I'm free from it because the Lord knows. So, um, I wonder this morning if you might have any unexamined thoughts. I wonder if there might be some things that you've accepted in your heart or mind as truth that aren't true. And if you'd allow the God of all peace to help you examine those, you'd be surprised how he'd start to break those down and relieve some of your own anxiety and some of your own stress. Would you just stand with me this morning if you're online today? Our, uh, our prayer team is there with you and would love to pray with you. Y you can say as much or as little as you want. Drop your name in the comments. Say, I need prayer. I have an unspoken need or maybe a specific need that you'd like to list. We have a team of people who've been praying for you already and they'd love to pray with you now. As, as we, um, our worship team's gonna come and lead us just one, one short song. Can I just ask you as they lead us, would you just let your heart rest? Would you just let your heart rest? There's no work to do. There's nothing to figure out. Just let your heart rest before God. And you can just kind of say, you know, Lord, I'm open. Here I am. 
you want to do anything in my life or say anything or change anything, I'm open. Lord, I thank you today that you're the Prince of Peace. I thank you that you are the one who can calm the storms of our life. And you are the one who can calm us even when the storms are not going to settle down. I thank you that you are the the peace giver who gives peace that passes all understanding. It defies logic. And so as we worship you today, Lord, I pray that you would just be ministering peace in this place. In Jesus' name.